Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Your people, we thank you for your house. We thank you for the freedom to worship you. We just ask that you would activate your word in us this morning. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, Pastor Bill was talking a little bit about legalism and grace. And so this week, I thought we'd just kind of take a springboard from that and maybe take a closer look at grace. Maybe we could discover what grace is, what it isn't, how to appropriate it into our lives, and what is the purpose, find out maybe what the purpose of grace is. The teaching of grace in the church, uh, not our church because Pastor Bill teaches sound doctrine, uh, but in some churches, the teaching of grace swings from one side to the far left Back to the far right. Uh, some folks will preach such a loose grace. They'll say, well, you know, God loves me. It doesn't matter where I am, what I do, God loves me. And there's truth in that. But they'll take it so far to that side, they'll preach it so loose that then you have people in the church sleeping around, you have people smoking pot, and you have all these problems come in. And then, so the guys on the other side, they see that, and the pendulum swings back the other day, other way, and they sp- they preach this strict legalism, almost like puritanical or uh, uh, kind of kind of walk with God. And somewhere in the middle, there's Jesus saying, "Hey guys, I'm right here. I'm right here." Uh, some preach grace so loose that accounts for a lot of problems in, we, in the churches we have today. We have denominations split over things, and people want to get out because they don't believe what their their denomination is teaching. And so, it would be good to know what the Bible really teaches. Could you do the next slide? We kind of sit like this. As you know, I'm a science fiction buff, and that's one of my favorite movies, science. We kind of are like that. What is it? What does what really grace mean, and how can I appropriate it to my life? Next slide, please. We all know um, uh, what we've heard from childhood, and some of that stuff's true, and some of it isn't. Uh, next slide, please. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man boast. First of all, we kind of need to know what saved means, don't we? Uh, most of the people in America, if you say, are you saved, they think you, you mean, did you say that prayer that qualifies you to go to heaven when the trumpet sounds? And that is really not what saved means. Saved means delivered, sealed, set apart, healed, provided for, and made whole. Now that's a lot of stuff. That's more than just going to heaven, isn't it? And if you do a get a concordance and go through your Bible and look up the term saved, and you'll find that saved has a lot more to do with living now. That that Heaven in the end is, is part of the package, but you'll find that being saved has a whole lot more to do with living now. Why do we need to be saved? As I've told you before, in the garden, 
Adam was in communion with God. He walked in harmony with God, with love. But when he chose to disobey God, he lost he lost relationship with God. He lost the image of God. He lost his created purpose, his identity, and his destiny. All those things he lost. And the gospel is summed up in the fact that God has been working all these years and sent his only son to restore all that back into us. He didn't, he didn't send Jesus to die on the cross just so that we could go to heaven someday. He came to put his kingdom inside of us so that we, as Jesus taught, he said, let your light, he said, I'm the light of the world, but now you're the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they will glorify your Father in heaven, that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So this being saved, saved by grace, has a lot more to do with our everyday living. And I think our misunderstanding of it is, has caused a lot of Christians to, to live lives like this. They're up and down. And I don't see that in Jesus, do you? I don't see that in Paul, shipwrecked, snake bit, uh, dumped in the ocean, locked in jail, beaten how many times within an inch of his life, and yet he's, he says, I count it all as dung except for the excellency of the knowledge of God. Think about that. That's consistency, isn't it? That's, that's, not like, that's not like my life. But So when we ask that question, are you saved, we need to know that it, that it means help here, not just help there. Okay? So in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith. So where does that faith come from? If you'll look in your Bibles, next slide please. At first Peter or 2 Peter, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have, have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and our Savior. Even the faith to believe that Jesus is who he said he is, guess what? It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Except he draws us, we would never, we would never be drawn to him. And you know what? I want you to think about that. If he draws us, he must want us, mustn't he? See, that's part of our created purpose and image and destiny and value that he wants to restore in us. See, we have all been raised in in the way of the world. We've thought and grew up in the way of the world. I like to say we've been homeschooled in the wrong home. What did Jesus say in what did John say in the Gospel of John? He said, Jesus was, was Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John he says, grace and he talks about the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. But see, there's a lot of stuff out there that we believe, that we have kind of just grew up in, and it's a lie. And that's part of what Jesus came for, to get the lie off of us, to restore us to what he intended and created us to be, what he has planned destiny for our lives is and his value of our life. So how do we get this faith? This scripture here says it came by the righteousness of our God. Isn't that awesome? That we have a righteous God. The whole Bible is about God's righteous judgment to the earth. He didn't come in rightness because if Jesus came in rightness, guess what? We're all wrong. But he came in righteousness. Jesus said in, in John chapter 3, he said that he came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But now he did say, in that day 
when he comes back in Revelation on the white horse and the sword's coming out of his mouth, he said, in that day my words will judge you. But not now. He has not come to condemn. Next slide, please. In Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came upon all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. As for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Because Adam fell, we all became sinners. I'm a, I'm a client because my dad was a client. He's a client because his dad was a client. I'm a sinner because I'm, my family is sinners all the way back to Adam. That's why. We do not, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Okay? So the remedy for that was the cross of Jesus. It was the, this scripture tells us it was a free gift resulting in justification. I used to teach high school Sunday school. And when we came across that word, we'd say justification. Just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. Next slide, please. When we, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound... But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because when Adam fell, death has reigned upon the whole earth. But, but, and because sin abounded, the Bible kind of teaches us that the law was given to show us, hey, you, you don't come up to the measuring stick. It was given to prove to us that there is none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has, has, has turned to his own way. There's a way that seems right to a man. You know, you might say, well, you know, I'm a good guy. I'm okay. I, 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 I get the mail for the neighbor and I open the door for little old ladies. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. So we're saved by faith because the faith is the gift of the righteousness of God. Uh, the faith comes from Him and this grace has been poured out upon us. But um, people today will say, you know, um, I, I want to look at Romans chapter 5 and 6. These, these two chapters of the scripture have become of late my favorite part of the Bible I say that today but tomorrow I'll read another part and it'll become my favorite part let's look at um, verse 18 of, of Romans if you would in chapter 5 therefore as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation even so the righteousness of one uh, free gift came upon all men into justification because of one man's disobedience we all taste of death but because of the free gift of God and, and Jesus' act of obedience, we can have eternal life. Our eternal uh, uh, life can, can be started today. We can live. We can be restored to the, the image of God can be restored in us. And verse 21, I want you to look at that. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through the righteousness of by Jesus Christ our Lord. 
What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? That's a rhetorical question. He says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And then he gives four no's. I want to refresh you on this. He says, Know you not that so many of us who were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, I'm going to tell you later what kind of death that is. But first of all, he says, Know that if you've repented and believed that Jesus Christ is, is the Lord of the earth, that he died for your sins, he says, You've been baptized into his death. Number one. Okay? Let's go on. Therefore... Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so should we, we should walk in newness of light. So he's saying that we've been baptized into Jesus' death, and he says because Jesus was raised to new life, we should be raised to new life. And if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Notice how he, Paul is, join, or the the writer of, of Luke here is in uh, Romans is saying, joining us to Jesus. It's Jesus, us, Jesus, us. Jesus was 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 um, baptized. We are baptized into his death. Jesus was was uh, was crucified for our death. He was raised to live to God. He's saying we're raised to live to God. And then comes the second knowing. Knowing this, that our old man has crucified him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Second no, that our old man has been crucified. Remember the the uh, circumcision in the Old Testament law, how they would cut the foreskins off as, as a thing that's saying they were committed to God? Well, the spiritual circumcision is that God has taken our fleshly carnal nature and he's cut it off and he's nailed it to his cross and it's dead. It's dead. He's not fixing it up. He's not putting makeup on it. He's not giving us, wanting us to read books on how to be a better fleshly person. He crucified it. He killed it. This is the gospel. Baptized into his death, our fleshly nature nailed to his cross. That's the second note. Now let's read on. Now he that is dead is freed from sin. Notice those last two verses. He says we should not serve sin. And if you're dead, you can't serve sin, can you? Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. This is the good news. Third knowing. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. That baptism thing I was talking about earlier, we're baptized into his death. This is the death. The death to sin. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth to God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves unto God Sorry, I'm having trouble reading here because I don't have my reading glasses and I'm old and blind. Uh, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now, there's a thing in the church that's saying, well, you start teaching this, they're going to say, well, wait a minute, brother. What are you saying? You're perfect? Uh, I, 
there's this thing all we sin every day in thought, word, and deed. What are you saying? Are you perfect? Or they'll jump over to First uh, John chapter four or chapter one, and they will say, "Well, what about this scripture?" So let's just look at that scripture so that we don't have a problem with that. First John chapter four. People will say, "What about the scripture that says if we uh, say that we have no that, that that if we have no sin, we're we're making God a liar?" Let's look at those scriptures. First John chapter one. He opens up saying, what I'm talking about, I have seen and heard and I've walked with, I've touched. He's talking about Jesus. He said, these things I've seen, in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things I write unto you, that you may be full. You see, I think the church is not experiencing the fullness of God. Jesus said, I come to give you abundant life. I came that your joy might be full. And I think a lot of us don't understand. The, you know, the world tells you what you don't know won't hurt you. What the Bible says, my people perish for a lack of understanding. The world says, uh, you seen those bumper stickers? The one that dies with the most toys wins. The Bible says, if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul. Hmm? What shall a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Let's read on in 1 John. This then is the message. Oh, let me, I'll skip verse 4. And that these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Don't blame any of the sicknesses, illnesses, the calamities, and the things that happen in this world on God. They are the result of a fallen cursed planet because we brought sin into the earth he is light there is no darkness in him if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth does that sound like oh brother I sin every day and walk thought word and deed Uh, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from how much sin All. all All sin. And if we say that we have no sin, this is the scripture that people throw at you. They take it out of context. They say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John, John has laid the groundwork of here of what the blood has done and what relationship with God has done. And then he says, if you come up and say what I said earlier, hey, I'm a pretty nice guy. I never really stole anything and uh, and I've never lied and... And I, I'm just a pretty nice guy. I mean, I help little ladies across the street, and and uh, I don't. Why did I need this blood? If you say that, he says you're a liar. The truth's not in you. If you say that you have no sin, you're deceived, because the Bible. That's what the world says. You know, if you can be good, good. Michael Bloomberg this week said they asked him about this, and he said, "Well, I don't think I'm going to get asked any questions when I get to heaven. I've done so much good stuff. I've spent a million dollars on ad." Pan- campaigns that stop people from smoking and stuff like that and so when I get there they're just going to usher me right on in you see where his faith is is what he's dependent on is his works and that's the kind of people that would say I don't need the blood I've done all these great things but what did Jesus say in Matthew he said in that day he said many would come to me saying father haven't I done this in your name haven't I done that in your name and he will say depart from me I never knew you in John 17 in Matthew chapter 17 verse 3 Jesus said and this is eternal life to know him the one true God and his son Jesus it's about knowing him not good works let's go on he says if we can 
he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. <clears throat> and But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all. How much? All unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. Now that's clear teaching on that right there. Now look on chapter 2. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin every day in thought, word, and deed. No, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation of our sin. So we see that grace is the power of God to take our sinful nature, nail it to his cross, bury us in, in, in baptism into the death of Jesus, and just as Jesus was raised from the dead, God grace gives us the power to live like Jesus. What's Jesus doing? He's restoring God's image into us. That's what we were created for. We are created. Remember, in the beginning, he said, let us make man in our image. God wants to restore his image. He wants to restore your value because the world will tell you, hey, you're not worth much. The world will beat you down. The world will condemn you. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn. I came to bring you life, to lift you up. See, Jesus' plan, his whole plan, this is the gospel. We were lost and undone without hope, and God, in his righteous judgment to the earth, draws us back to him, gives us enough the faith to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he died for my sins and your sins, and in that act, he took our old nature, crucified it to the cross. We are buried in, in uh, his death, and we, as he was raised from life, we believe that we reckon ourselves to be alive to him. Why is that important? Because if you don't believe that, you won't be intimate with him. I quoted a scripture about how this whole thing is about God wants us to be intimate with him. What happened when, with Adam? I mean, yeah, see, in the garden, when, when he was walking with God, he was naked, he was not ashamed. He was not afraid. He was completely open and naked before God, and everything was cool. But after he sinned, what did he do? What's the first thing he did? He covered his nakedness. He was ashamed, and he was condemned. He ran and hid, and he was filled with fear. If any time something condemns you in your life, it will push you away from God. The difference in, in, in conviction and repentance is that conviction pushes you to God. Condemnation pushes you away from God. If you feel condemned over something in your past, guess what? It's a lie. You need to mix the truth. What's the truth? What I'm telling you this morning with a little bit of faith and draw nigh to God. Amen. Next slide, please. I think I've already covered that pretty much. Let's go to the next one. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things in the earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you kind of halfway saved, you know, you're sort of holy, you're, you're sort of, you got a few, few things we can blame you about. No, that's not what he says, is it? He says, I present you holy, blameless, above reproach in his sight until you learn to see what Jesus has done 
and see how he sees you through the blood? Are you perfect? Probably not. But you know what? He's gonna. If you will draw nigh unto him, as you mature in him, you're going to start looking more and more like him. But this is how he sees you through the blood. I want you to get that this morning if you don't get anything. Because you know what this will do? This will make you get in here. This will make you get on your knees. This will make you draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh unto you. And mighty transformation will happen in your life. You see, if we preach grace, there has to be transformation. A life without, uh, with, with a loose grace that doesn't change you is heresy. If, if we preach a grace so loose, God loves you. Yes, he does. But if we preach it so loose that nothing changes, we're still selfish. We're still self-centered. We're self, still self-preserving. We'll throw our mother under the bus if it means a buck for us. Uh, if, if, if that's true, that's a heresy. That's not, tr- that's not true grace. Next slide, please. I'm going to look at some of these. Uh, if indeed you continue in the faith grounded in steadfast... Notice what he's saying here. There was a little tie into that last verse. He says, this is how God sees you, holy, blameless, above reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded, steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, which I am Paul, am a minister. So next slide, please. So you see, what we believe makes a lot of, makes a lot, it means a lot. So grace is we owed a debt we couldn't pay, so God sent his only son to pay the price. He's taken our old sinful nature, he's crucified it to get the lie off of us, to get us back in a right relationship with him, to restore his image into us. And then not only that, grace is the power for us to live a transformed life. Next slide, please. So grace is not a permission slip to sin. What do I mean by that? Well, folks will say, you know, well, I, I blew it up. I'm just thankful for the grace of God. I, boy, I let my wife have it this morning. We got into it. Man, I just let her have it. Boy, thank God for the grace of God. That's not the grace of God. That's the mercy of God you're seeking there. We get those two confused. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. The grace of God is the power not to blow up. The grace of God is when that guy cuts you off in traffic and flips you off that you don't go off too. That's the grace of God. The grace is actually, remember that, what Jesus said about he's the potter and we're the clay? The grace is his hands. Grace is his sculpting tool forming Jesus in us. That's what grace is. Grace is his his sculpting tool. It's not a permission slip to overlook bad behavior. Sometimes we kind of think that it is. It's the power of God to live a transformed life. Next slide, please. Some of the hindrances are, I want to look at uh, this scripture in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, for the law having a shadow, it was just a, a shadow of what was coming. It was, you remember the old law where they, uh, they, they killed the little turtle doves and the lambs and all that? That was just a kind of a shadow foretelling what was coming down the road, which was Jesus. Okay? And he says, it was just a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things that can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. So he's saying those things couldn't make perfect. So what's the unspoken truth there? They were a shadow of something that was coming. They couldn't make you perfect. So what's this one saying? He can make you perfect. 
For then would not those things have ceased to be offered. He said if, if those things could have done the job, they wouldn't have had to do them every year. They wouldn't have to continually go to the altar and offer sacrifices every year for their sins. And they were so imperfect that the priest had a rope tied around his foot so when he went into the Holy of Holies, in case God struck him dead, they could drag his body back out. For if those things could have done it, he said we wouldn't have stopped. For the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sin. Next slide, please. I want to talk about the consciousness of sin real quick. You see, Jesus... That scripture right there told us if they could have taken away the consciousness of sin, and this is something that the church has done. We've preached sin, 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 because we're so afraid people abuse grace. And we become sin conscious rather than God conscious. And so we weigh down with this sin consciousness, and, and, and you know, it comes time for us to pray, and the Lord's Spirit's saying, Come talk to me. And we're, well, you know, I, I, you know, we think about that guy, the high priest, getting drug out of his body, and we, we're afraid to approach God. We're, we're afraid to get serious with God, to get naked before God. We're afraid to take the veil off and be naked like Adam was with him. We, we're not intimate with him. Um, so we're living in condemnation. And what we're really saying is that we don't believe we're really forgiven. We're don't, though all the scriptures I just showed you about how he's saying we're holy and blameless without reproach, we're not really believing that. And, and that's the truth. You can believe the world or you can believe... The truth. This is what he has said about you. This is how he sees you through the blood. Don't let your earthly experience condemn you. Because you're saying you don't believe. If you have guilt, what you're saying is you don't believe. You you say what what the devil's going to say to you is, you know, you really did that, Junior. You know you did that. And then you're going to say, well, yeah, I did. So I guess I deserve judgment. You see how he wants to beat you up? This is part of his, his little scheme. If you're carrying shame, you're still identifying with that old man that Jesus said he, he put him to death. And some of us, when we get up in the morning, we practice resurrection. Lord, help me have a good day. Don't let me work with that grumpy boss of mine. Don't, you know how he punches my buttons. Lord, you know, I sin every day. I, I need your mercy today. You see, we're still identifying with the old guy and we're trying to fix him up. We're reading all the Christian self-help books on how to live the victorious life and we're still trying to patch up the old nature instead of reckoning him to be dead and, and, and standing on the truth. We can believe truth or we can believe life. Don't let life speak louder than truth. What do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. Next slide, please. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks in Matthew. And if you keep your heart with all diligence, from, from it spring the issues of life. But in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, Romans 4, 3, James 2, 23, and I'm sure a bunch of other places, it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. It didn't say Abraham Went to church, paid his tithes, went to missions trips, uh, fasted, prayed. It says, Abraham believed God. Now, Abraham could have looked at life. He could have let life speak louder than truth. God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. Now, Abraham could have said, well, you know, I'm, I'm an old man. I mean, my stuff don't really work anymore. And my wife's stuff don't really work anymore. She's old. And my experience is in this world, when you're our age, that childbearing thing is over with. Right? 
That's that's experience. That's what life is saying. But what did Abraham do? He didn't believe that. He said, I'm going to believe you. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, I've showed you a ton of scriptures this morning, what God says about you. If you have asked Jesus into your heart, you've repented of your sins and confessed and said, yes, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life, I've shown you how he sees you this morning. Holy, blameless, without reproach. So when you get up in the morning, don't pray, oh, God, forgive me today for my sins and help me not to sin again today. You know I'm going to mess up today, Lord. I know I am. You see... You're, you're, you're testifying the wrong testimony. You're professing the wrong profession. We need to put the truth, not let, not let our experience, life, or condemnation speak louder than truth. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. I want to encourage you this morning, believe God. Believe the truth. Believe what the Bible's saying. And you know what's going to happen? Why do I want you to do that? Because I know you'll get intimate with God. And when you, when you get intimate with God, things will change. Your life will be transformed. What happens when two people who are in love... I told the guys in the men's breakfast this. What happens when two people that are in love spend a lot of time together? Somebody gets pregnant. Yeah. And God wants to make you pregnant. That's not a sexual thing. It's a spiritual thing. He wants to make you pregnant with His life. He has placed His Spirit inside of you. And as you commune with Him, draw close to Me. He said, you'll seek Me and find Me when you search for Me with your whole heart. What did He say in Matthew chapter 7? He said, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. We have all of these promises. Next slide, please. That He's given us. He's given us all these things. But what do we have to do? Our job is not to try to wake up in the morning and try not to sin. Our job is to believe God and to believe the truth and to walk in His grace. I want to read you this scripture. If you want to get your piano player now, it would be a good time. Uh, I want to read you this scripture from the Amplified Bible because I thought it was just so powerful. Read this with me. Look at this. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in union with Him. How did we receive Him? Did we get our act cleaned up and then come to God? Remember the old Billy Graham Crusades? What was the song they always, they always played? Just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. So how did we receive Him? He said, therefore, as you have received Him, walk in union with Him. Reflecting His character. You see, too many Christians are a Christian for themselves, and that's not good. That's not the purpose of Christianity. I'm a Christian because I want God's protection. I don't want sickness. I want God to watch over my children. I mean, all that's in the package, but that's not the purpose of being a Christian. The purpose of a Christian is to glorify His name, for his, to live for His great name, to allow His image to flow through us so that He transforms us. And other people say, you know, that, man, that dude's different. That dude's different. There's something about him. I want to find out what's going on with him. Okay? So therefore, as you've received Christ, walk in union with him, reflecting his character in the things you do and say, living lives that lead others away from sin, having been deeply rooted in him, and now being continually built up in him and becoming increasingly more established in your faith as you were taught and overflowing in it with gratitude. Next slide. Next slide. See it. 
See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, pseudo-intellectual babble. You know, it sounds good that, well, you've got to do this, this, and this. You need to come to church. You need to pay your tithes. You need to fast. You need to uh, um, do a missions trip. You need... That sounds good, but you know what that is? That's the wisdom of the world. That's the, i got to do something to get something. Isn't it? i got to do something to get something. The gospel is... You can't do anything, but he's going to give it to you anyway. You can't earn it. You can't walk it out. The the law proved that we couldn't walk it out. So he says, don't let that fool you. Don't be fooled. Don't be taken captive by philosophy and empty deception or pseudo-intellectual babble according to the traditions and musings of mere men. Follow the elementary principles, following the elementary principles of this world rather than following the truth. The teachings of Christ. For in him all the fullness of the deity, the Godhead, dwells in bodily form, completely expressing the divine essence of God. You want to know what God was like? Look at the life of Jesus. Amen. He condemned no one. He, con- he didn't condemn the woman in adultery. He didn't condemn the, the thief on the cross. He said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't condemn anybody. Next slide, please. And in him you have been made complete, having... Achieving spiritual stature through Christ, and He is the head over all rule and authority of every angelic uh, and earthly power. This is the gospel, folks. This is grace. We get what we don't deserve, and what we do deserve, God has taken it on His on His Son, nailed it to the cross. He's paid the penalty for our death, and there's no reason for us to say, "Well, you know, I sin every word, every day, and thought, word, and deed." That's cheapening the blood of Jesus, in my opinion. He paid too great a price for you to live in defeat. He paid too great a price for you to still be in bondage. He paid too great a price for you to walk in condemnation, to walk in fear, to walk in shame. So learn who you are, how he sees you through the blood, the value that that he places on you, that he would send his only son to pay the horrible price that he paid for you. That was you. That was you he was looking at. Learn what your destiny is and your purpose for being here. It's not just to buckle your seatbelt and wait for heaven. It's to let the kingdom of God flow through you. Pass, bring your music for me. Let's pray while she comes with the music. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, I just hope, Father, that our hearts can understand the message I labored to bring this morning, Father. And I pray that you would just teach us to not be afraid, controlled by fear and condemnation, to draw near unto you in true intimacy and fellowship so that you can transform us. We just ask your blessing on everyone in this church this morning, Father, and I pray that you would get glory through our lives in Jesus' name.